This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome everyone to another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. You may have noticed I've kind of fallen off the radar a little bit the last week or two, both just on social media and with an episode release. And after we hear from our sponsor, Napa Autotech Training, I will go into more detail why. Napa Autotech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutotech.com and click on the Napa Autotech class calendar link. We'll just cut to the chase. I got one of those 4 a.m. phone calls that nobody wants to get. You know what I mean? Anytime one of my family members really calls me before I answer, there's always that hesitation. Just a, a pause if I'm really not expecting them to call and I see their name pop up on my phone. That I, There's a second pause. Maybe not literally a second, but you know what I mean. Like I take a, take a moment, almost hold my breath, and then you get the phone rings at four in the morning and you see it's a family member and what's not good. I guess I'll just cut to the chase and then build up what I need to jump around, I guess, like I normally do, like a really poor storyteller. Thursday morning, Thursday, the 21st of December, my phone rang and it was my brother and I, I knew it couldn't be good. And you answer as best you can, right? I mean, you, you're bracing. And he said that my dad had had a cardiac event and he was being airlifted to Mayo Clinic in Rochester. So as far as I know, when it comes to like medical facilities, you have like John Hopkins and you have Mayo Clinic and specifically like the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota is world renowned. And he was being airlifted there. His heart had stopped and my brother gave him CPR until medics arrived, EMTs arrived, and they took over, got him to the hospital, decided to airlift him. I'll probably go into more detail with that, not just like sequence of events, but some kind of amazing things that right away you wake up Danielle and let her know. And then it's luckily we have some older kids. So we got dressed. I told him a little bit that it wasn't wasn't quite time yet to get to a really bad place, I guess, because you're already worried. You're you're this isn't this isn't good. It's also stunning because my dad's seventy seven years old and I wouldn't pretend to tell you he's out there running marathons or a super athlete or anything like that, but I grew up in a big old farmhouse. And we heated the place with wood, wood heat. So as as long as I've been alive, he has constantly been cutting, splitting, stacking wood, feeding a furnace. And what they use now is an outdoor boiler. So the the fire, if you will, is occurring outside of the house. Unlike when I was a kid, we had uh, hot air heat through a wood furnace where the fire occurred in the in the house in the furnace. That's dangerous. That's the way it was. And now this heats up water outside of the house, pumps water into the house underground, much like a heater core. 
and blows the heat and they also heat their water. So really this kind of burns year round. I mean, that's what he did, whether he was working full time. And mind you, this is somebody that worked a full time job at the post office as a rural carrier, got done with his route, went up to the implement that my grandparents owned, worked up there until five, six o'clock at night, unless it was planting or harvest season, of which then who knows when he would get done. And then we had our own farm that he ran. So there's many, many nights he didn't get into the house until after midnight and he was gone in the morning by, I would say really six in the morning to get to the post office to sort mail. And if he, normal days, he'd be done by one, two o'clock. So he was always active, always moving. And the process of carrying wood, I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's like rucking level where you're trying to move at a certain pace with weight, but he's always moving, carrying the chain, whether it's the chainsaw or the lifting the wood onto the wood splitter and carrying it. So him having a heart issue is kind of mind boggling, but it turned out he had done some doctoring just through the VA as he was a Vietnam vet. They had just done an echocardiogram. They had just done a stress test and evidently passes with flying colors. And now one night his heart stops. It's just, it's mind boggling, but also quite mind boggling is this, just the sequence of events that, I mean, I know many of you will be able to explain it to me quite easily, but I'm having a, having a time wrapping my head around it. My brother who called me lives in Chicago and they just so happened to arrive Wednesday evening, the 20th for Christmas to spend Christmas with us. They, my daughter had flown into Chicago to ride up with them, with her and her daughter, my granddaughter. And we all met Wednesday night at my parents' house and spent the evening eating and playing games. And I have to level with you. I didn't see any anything with my dad that would cause any alarm. He didn't seem out of sorts. He didn't seem like he wasn't himself. He didn't say, or my mom didn't say anything about him not feeling well or feeling under the weather. There was no signs that there was anything wrong. And I'm not going to tell you that there and even in hindsight, that there was reason to suspect that something like this was going to happen. There were none. I mean, I, I can't, I'm not making this up. Please believe me. I'm not making this up, making this up at all. I'm sitting there talking to my parents. And then back in my head, I'm, I am thinking, what a lucky bastard I am. Both my parents are into their 70s, 77, 75. And both of them are, have their facilities, if you will, their memory and they're active, meaning, again, they're not out there running marathons and stuff, but they got stuff to do. They seem to be in good health. I have friends that have lost their parents or a parent, and it's tragic. And when it happens, it's you feel like it offers you some perspective that you better appreciate the time you have with yours and you, you should like, that's what you should be thinking is 
stupid mortality. That clock is ticking. I guess I fancied myself one of those people that appreciated that. I I mean, geez, I recorded a podcast about it, even about time and having that weigh on me. And yet this happens and it doesn't feel like enough. And it's like, I didn't appreciate it enough. Were there times I skipped out, did something else when I could have been, should have been over there. And I, I don't think it's that often, but it kind of, it kind of sucked to think about. I don't know. I guess maybe questioning awareness and presence and maybe that's no way to live. Maybe I'm just in this vulnerable state recording a podcast that maybe I shouldn't be recording right right now. I don't know. I, I don't know if you go through life every moment, every interaction, just overwhelmed with the appreciation for that moment, that time. But I don't think it would hurt to reflect a little bit and to, to be aware of it. Maybe not have it just hit you ever so hard, but to truly appreciate those interactions, especially the one, those people, of course, loved ones, but also just people you admire, respect, enjoy the company of. They're visiting. My, my brother, his wife are visiting and they just so happen to be staying at my parents' house. And there's no reason to think anything's wrong. Everybody goes to bed awaiting Christmas, preparing for Christmas, giddy. I would say a little bit giddy. Like for, we got, there's still young kids and a granddaughter that know Christmas is magical. The magical time of year, even though Minnesota right now doesn't have a lick of snow. I mean, it does, it does affect things. I'll tell you, it doesn't seem right. Kind of ends up being one of those blessings in disguise, if you will, because they go to bed and everything seems normal until my mom is awoken by a very loud snoring. And I don't think my dad snores, snores a lot, but I suppose like many of us, when we're really, really tired, sometimes we snore or the air is really dry, which it is. And then of course, forced air heat makes it even more dry. And I don't believe they're using humidifiers or anything, but regardless, that wasn't the cause of the snoring. She pokes him. He doesn't respond. Kind of roll over or something. Wake him up a little bit. Pokes him again. Kind of shakes him. No response. And now it's like, what is going on? I'm shaking him a little bit harder. Trying to wake him up and he's not waking up. And then kind of that, the, the, the fear and the, this I'm inferring panic, screaming and yelling for my brother. And he comes flying in, checks for a pulse. And I don't, honestly, I don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't know. I, like, I would think I'd feel a pulse without them having a pulse because my heart would be pounding so hard. I'd have enough pulse for both of us, but no pulse immediately starts giving a CPR. They call 911. The operator is phenomenal. And this is not me witnessing any of this. This is them telling me phenomenal, calm. This is what we need to do. Ambulances are on the way. So where they live, 
on a farm, right smack dab between uh, two cities, the city where I live, or town, Goodyear, and Red Wing. And they're, I mean, they're almost dead in the middle. Red Wing has a full-time crew, firefighters and EMTs. Goodyear is volunteer. And I think Goodyear arrived first. And uh, they take over, and Red Wing arrives. And I, nobody seems to know what happened after that, which ambulance he rode in. It doesn't matter. They, they rush him to the hospital, and it sounds like they had to try to jumpstart him a couple times on the way. Uh, they had they used the paddles and an IAD, and they, they got him back. Like, they got the, the pulse back. And he was breathing on his own the whole time. And they get him to the hospital. And I don't think they're going to mess around with him there. When you have Mayo with, a, I think, a helicopter maybe a half an hour away. I, that's when I get the phone call. Beat, I beat everybody to the hospital. I beat my um, brother, mom, the, the helicopter, everybody. And, and then it's really they have him in the ICU. And they had him on breathing assist and blood thinners and all of that. And, and it's a waiting game. And you're sitting in the waiting room helpless and trying to wrap your head around what's happened. Why? They, they can only really speculate at this point or at that point. And, and really now, now, as I talk to you, the evening of New Year's Day, that they don't know why yet. And I don't know if they will know why. Usually it's a heart attack, which is mind-blowing. I'm not going to imply that he ate super clean, but just that activity level, you would think, I don't know, I guess nobody's immune to anything and all you can do is stack odds in your favor. And he stacked odds in his favor on certain things and maybe not so much on others. He didn't smoke or drink or anything like that, at least on the last 47 to 50 years, there's just this phrase they started using, the tincture of time. And honestly, my knee-jerk reaction when they're starting to spew that is, you, you lucky bastards. Because until they do some real tests of, like an angiogram, they're not necessarily fixing anything right now they're just keeping him alive really because they got to find out if he's going to wake up if he's going to come out of this and if he does what is his mental state going to be and i don't mean like is he going to be depressed or any like mental health and we're talking about tbi like a traumatic brain injury because unlike what we see in the movies and on tv Somebody drops and you run over and give them CPR, whatever time their brain goes without oxygen, there's damage being done. There's no organ in your body that consumes as much oxygen or glucose as your brain. And there is no, there's no reserves. We don't, there's, there's nothing like a little bank or storage in our heads anywhere that if the brain is without this stuff that it can kind of turn to to feed off of a little bit to get us by. There's no way to know how long he went without. 
Was it seconds? Was it at all? Was it a minute? Two minutes? There's no way to know. Yeah, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The fact that he was in that hospital with a chance is a direct result of, I don't, I don't know if heroism or heroic deeds or whatever is a bit of an exaggeration, but he's only there because my mom woke up and my brother was there. Uh, and, like in the house, had the opportunity, knew how to do CPR, didn't have to YouTube it first or wait for the operator to walk him through it, the 911 operator, that my mom doesn't wake up, we're having a much different conversation right now. And there's no hospital involved, I don't think. And the phone call is much different. There's no, there's no talk about an airlift. So number one, she woke up. Two, just the, the fact my brother was there and knew a fair bit what to do. I had no criticisms. There, there's nothing to say like he could have done this better or that better, this right. Uh, he did no wrong. He'd, the reason he has a shot of a recovery is because he was there and had a really good idea what to do and did it. I don't know about you guys, but I have a few friends that tried their hands at being EMTs. One of them was an EMT for about a year and enjoyed the job and made it past some of the first major hurdles like kids showing up at a a scene, car accident, something like that, and a kid is hurt or worse, and usually worse, to get past that, to be able to deal with that and, and do your job and and then sleep then probably the next week if you're to, to move on from that, to process that. The thing was is they had gone about a year before they had to go and deal with somebody they knew and... Just, they couldn't do it. Uh, it's like almost all their training went out of their heads, and that that was it. They they couldn't be an EMT anymore, J- just by their own volition. I don't, I don't even know if the uh, the department would have nixed them or not. I, maybe so. It's not even important because they they themselves decided they couldn't do it anymore. So here's here's his dad. And he did what he needed to do and, and did it well, even cracking ribs. So, yeah, I get it. You can, you can do successful chest compressions without cracking ribs, but cracking them also guaranteed that he was delivering effective compressions. You know, just gave him the shot, got him to where he needed to be as soon as he could with a legitimate shot. And, yeah, I, those two things don't happen this is a much different conversation. And the tincture of time essentially is they, the, the medical or the human body, there's things they can wait for the body to heal its own and, and put you in a position to heal. And this is kind of one of them. They're, they will have to do an angiogram. They will have to try to find out why this happened or in their best estimation what happened and why and will that involve stents bypass surgeries even a pacemaker i I don't know i don't want to imply that at predictions even to to get them to the point where they can make such decisions was a waiting game make sure that he's breathing and make sure that 
Uh, his blood's not going to clot. And is his heart working? And, and I mean, beyond like just the ECG, we can see the waveforms on that, but also the doing an echocardiogram and watching the actual squeeze function of the heart, which it was doing and improving and watching the troponin levels in his blood drop, meaning there was no more damage or there wasn't damage occurring to his heart, which I guess was a clue that he was did have a heart attack because there was troponin levels, that there was some sort of damage going on. And was that because of the arrest or because of a blockage? Time may tell with some testing, but we don't really get that in our world. Other than, I was thinking about this, I guess, with if we would say such things to a client, the tincture of time, it doesn't mean, well, if we wait long enough, we can nurse your car long enough, the brakes will stop squealing. It's, it's not like that. But there's certain problems that require time to, to diagnose, to figure out, whatever that may be. And so there is a certain tincture of time. Give us enough time, we will figure this out. Not a perfect translation by any means where with the human body, it, the ability to heal itself, to fix certain things itself, we don't have such a luxury where they, up to this point, and it's not a criticism, it's just the reality is there isn't a whole lot. They, they haven't really done anything to fix anything yet. And it's been I mean, well over a week. I don't know. I guess I was just kind of sitting there almost a little jealous. Like we're, we're going to give them, we're going to pump them full of antibiotics to try to prevent pneumonia induced from the breathing tube. We're going to make sure he's breathing good and oxygen, oxygenating his blood. And we're going to just kind of monitor everything and we're going to see if he wakes up. So we're going to kind of let him heal for about 24 hours and then we're going to start taking some of the sedatives away and we're going to see if he wakes up. It's a freaking roller coaster is what it is. It's a freaking roller coaster that one, he's alive and in one of the best medical facilities in the world. So you feel sort of good, but we don't know what damage has occurred. The first time they went to wake him up, really didn't wake up. Now they got to bring in neurology. So we have a bunch of things going on. You've, you've got pulmonary watching his lungs and breathing. You've got cardiology with his heart and now neurology with his brain. And, and, and it's also critical care. Critical care is involved in the whole thing. One of the suckiest things was that it, watching the EEG test. And they, they don't shoo you out of the room, much to their credit. And I wouldn't fancy to tell you I know what all those lines meant specifically. But I do know that when they're trying to do external stimuli and see something move, and when you're watching them do it and nothing moves, that ain't good. So that was like a major valley in the roller coaster ride. That was not cool. I guess I was thinking this thing's going bad seeing that. Like it would, he's not responding. And of course it's too soon to tell. Again, they have on their side a little bit is the body's ability to heal and to recover. 
So that was just one test and it was not a good one or the results were not good. But we can't test an ignition coil and then test comes back bad and then just kind of wait and see if it'll be better tomorrow. <laughs> Although maybe we've done it and hoped. It's like, oh, maybe this misfire will be gone tomorrow. Tell the customer, I don't know what I did to fix it, but here's the bill. It doesn't really work for us. What does work for us, though, is honesty, because that's something that cannot be ignored in this. The doctors there were not callous. They weren't brutally honest, but they didn't sugarcoat stuff. In such a situation, I got to tell you, we did not want to be jerked around or sugar-coated. You, you just want the truth. You want to know where everything's at. Uh, especially my mom sitting there because the potential of not just life changing and so many different things. I, I mean, pick the paths that this could all go, The different, all the different results. And other than this not happening period or total recovery, there are paths she'd rather not take. But having a medical staff that Gave it to her straight. Meant a lot, even if you didn't want to hear it. Even if you just sitting there going, Night, you're, you're living a nightmare. But having them level with you and, and give it to you straight. And not all bad. It wasn't all bad. Of course, you hear the, the bad, the, the loudest. That, that's what really registers. But it wasn't all bad. Like They had things to say that were positive. But um, there's just that honesty. And I think that's something we can take back to our world is just leveling with clients and not being brutally honest about their car, but level, just on the level. I'm going to give you the good stuff. I'm going to tell you the bad stuff. You may not want to hear about the bad stuff, but this is the truth. I can back this up. And sure, they can't back certain things up with a test, but they have studies medical studies or however many patients that they have dealt with and similar their experience. And uh, one of those things was that uh, for somebody to make a full recovery, they would expect that to happen within 72 hours. And he, he didn't. He wasn't showing that. That's not promising. But again, this is what we normally see. This is what we would normally expect. It isn't well, he missed that benchmark. He's out. It, it's bad. Now, now anything, I can't tell you anything good. It was nothing like that, but it's almost like a brace yourself. Or your next decisions have to factor this in. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. 
With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Auto Tech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. One of the doctors, he wasn't like the main guy, but I think he's kind of one of the main residents did something that I will never forget. I hope I never forget. My mom will never forget is during all of this, when she started asking questions and she's sitting on a chair cause she couldn't possibly stand. And I'm not saying like some physical ailment. I'm just saying like loss of body control. Okay. Like shaking and, anxiety and fear and sorrow this doctor got down on one knee next to her very just very calmly answered every question and asking about what what happened and having her recite the story i kind of told you already and he's reassuring you and everybody involved you and your your son my brother have done more than we could ever expect anyone to do. And that this information is very valuable. And so far you are, you're doing so well. You're making really, really good decisions. And not that there were so many to make yet, but that meant everything to her. And I, how do, I don't know how we really translate that to our world directly that you're going to go approach every client as they're in the waiting room and you're going to get down on, a knee? I mean, that could very well be a smart move. I'm certain there are situations where that would be well warranted. I also think, depending on your front of house or point of sale, point of client contact area, how are your advisors or customer service reps situated? Meaning, when they're speaking to clients, are they somehow physically above them? That may be something to address. If, it, if that's the case, something will have to probably be put in, some process, some, some change to, to that to lower them to at least the client's level. I, I, you could just sense it with my uh, mom in this case where the doctors are standing and they're not doing it with any ill intent whatsoever. She's sitting, they're standing. They're having that round meeting. But being able to have one of those doctors come and drop to her level or slightly lower changed her response. How she was receiving information, how she was able to interact with him. And I think there is something there for our world that we should be trying to be at the same eye level or slightly lower than the client. Just as a general rule, it's hard to compare car repair to something like this. That's catastrophic on a real level. Your car's broken and it's going to cost a lot of money to fix it. 
may feel catastrophic to them, and that's something to take into account, even though we can always name something worse. Kind of another angle I was going to go with this, my my wife and I were Christmas shopping a couple days before this, really the, the Sunday before, Sunday before the 21st. We were in this store, and a group of teenage boys come in, and they're, they're just being 20-year-old boys, a little bit disrespectful, boisterous, touching all the product, and the store owners or manager or whatever is kind of got trying to ask them to not do that, tone it down a little bit. If you're not going to tone it down, I'm going to have to ask you to leave, all that. And I just kind of turned to Danielle and said that those boys, they just, they lack perspective. That's, that's the issue. They lack perspective. They, they don't own a store. They don't, they haven't had to stock it with stuff where they wrote out a check to pay for the product, to put it on the shelf and hopefully sell it for a profit in a timely manner. They don't know they have, that's furthest thing from their minds. They, they just haven't had to live that. They can't appreciate that. They lack perspective. This last, whatever, week, week and a half has greatly altered my perspective. Even though I thought I had a pretty decent perspective or I was able to, you know, empathize, sympathize with people that have gone through something like this, that at least I, I had felt like I had an appreciation for the fact that my parents were healthy and, and able to be interacted with like the way I could now having that deep, deep sixth, but not, I guess I shouldn't say deep sixth, but definitely, definitely got a reality check. Definitely got a reality check out of it. And realizing as much as I sympathized with them, I, I didn't, I couldn't, like, I just couldn't empathize because I don't think it was uh, any, certainly no ill will on my part or arrogance. It's just, I hadn't lived it. I couldn't, I didn't, didn't luckily enough had not experienced it. And still my dad is alive. So those that have lost their dads and parents, either one or both, like I still don't know what that feels like. And I really would like to put it off as long as possible, but Sympathy level has skyrocketed from it. Off the top of my head, my really good friend Tommy Oliva, I know, lost his dad, and it was terrible, terribly difficult, and still is for him. And I do feel bad, I, or, or better yet, I did feel really bad for him. Like I just couldn't wrap my head around that. And now I thought a few days ago, a week ago, that I was going to know a lot how he felt. Feel like, I feel like I've really dodged a bullet right now. And my family's really dodged a bullet. We'll, we'll find out how much. Because he's really not out of the woods yet. So he's awake enough that he's kind of answering some questions. They're going to pull the breathing tube to see if he can breathe on his own. Because that's going to answer some questions. More than just breathing on his own. They need to know if he can clear his airway. Kenny cough and they pull the breathing tube and he has has it out for the 
most of the day, but he's really not able to clear his airway. He's really rattly. He's not coughing, not coughing hard, not talking. Uh, eyes are open. His eyes follow you. But other than that, he's not like really reacting. So they they had to reintubate him. They had to put the breathing tube back in. And that's that's not good. So again, a valley. That that was kind of the beginning of one of those first meetings with doctors about where this is heading. What are we going to do? And it's kind of one of those, it's just surreal. Uh, sitting there with my, my brother and my sister and my mom. I, sh- I should say, actually, my sister, I had her on speakerphone because uh, she couldn't be there uh, for that meeting. You're wrestling with, I want him here versus what his wishes would be. And that's, if he's going to be alive, he wants to be able to do what he wants to do, which is going to be out in that wood pile and able to take care of himself and meet the guys at the cafe for a burger and coffee. What's the choice that gives them the best chance of doing that? And that's pulling the breathing tube and hoping for the best. That was an unbelievable situation situation to be in. It, it just was so surreal. Like, is this, is this even really happening? Is I have some pretty wild dreams, but this is, I think, beyond my ability to, to do, to create. Even literally biting myself a couple times, biting my hand, even even just to kind of get that fuzziness out of my head, like this is this is really happening. The answer was all too apparent what we had to do, and they pulled the tube and pretty soon he, he's just kind of talking and there's short-term memory stuff going on, which, I mean, that could be the sedatives, all that. So anyways, that's kind of a high point of the roller coaster now. We're, we're on a peak, kind of like, you know, it's hard to hold back optimism and you don't want, you don't want to stay pessimistic the whole time, but one phrase I kept kind of repeating probably to an annoying degree to some people was cautious optimism and and trying to maintain that, trying to maintain cautious optimism that there were some very good things going on. Somebody could run away with you. You could take these things and just be overly optimistic, but you don't want to be the other way either where just it's doom and gloom the whole time that, that would have, you don't want to ignore the good. They, yeah, they pulled the tube. This time around, his coughs were much stronger. Uh, he was able to cough some stuff up and has been able to keep coughing stuff up. And they're, of course, hitting him with a lot of a lot of stuff to um, ward off or get rid of any sort of uh, pneumonia and rechecking his heart. And so they've had more echoes done and the the heart at least the squeeze function is working quite well so by this point it's still it's been two weeks pushing two weeks that they, they haven't done the angiogram really a week and a half i think he'll be going in for that soon to see if they can find out what happened the the big wins are he's awake 
he's talking. For the most part, I would say he's himself. Some short-term memory stuff that still, still could be sedative-related and just time. I mean, we still have to wait and wait and see, and that's rough too. Like you just you keep hoping there's that one day soon where you kind of know everything's going to be okay or it isn't going to be okay. But he's talking. He knows who everybody is. He can talk about the past, although his place in time sometimes isn't super solid, meaning knowing he's in 2023, now 2024. Again, it seems like it's very, very much him. And I would say that a lot of that stuff is getting better. He's been up and walking now, assisted. So kind of getting his, getting his legs back. He's very, very much wants to go home. Very much wants to go home. That's, that's kind of what's been going on now the last week and a half. Christmas, I, I think I have to mention it. It, it's, it so deserves mention that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day the the family get-togethers occurred at the hotel. And I do not have the command of the English language to be able to describe and explain my just over, how touched and overwhelmed, how, the, the level of gratitude I have, the how absolutely amazing, it was absolutely amazing. My sister-in-law took it upon herself to make the hotel room. Uh, so the hotel, there's a really neat hotel right across the street from the hospital. Or the, the rooms that we had were basically efficiency apartments. So they had kitchens and living rooms, stuff like that. Yeah, she decorated it all up. Had a little Christmas tree, lights. I mean, it, it blows my mind. The kids, my kids and my nephew and granddaughter really probably thought it was kind of cool to have Christmas somewhere else than home. And and it's because of her and her efforts and, and efforts from an uncle of mine who sent food that we just had to throw in the oven. And, and so we had Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve dinner, and we had food for Christmas Day. And it was Christmassy. And even though we we went home Christmas Eve so that the kids could open their Santa gifts the next morning with the gifts under the tree and all that, and then we were right back down there and uh, spent Christmas Day at the hotel and bouncing back and forth to visit my dad is unbelievable. It, It was absolutely unbelievable what she did. And almost like we were doing her a favor letting her do it by letting her. I don't even know what that means. Like she asked if she could do it and we said, yeah. And we were doing her a favor. No way. It was, it was very touching, humbling. I mean, just humbling that, that somebody could do that in such little time. It's, I mean, we can't go a whole episode without a movie reference. I mean, what would be the point? It's freaking maybe a slight exaggeration, but very much like the scene in Elf where he fixes up the toy store 
for the coming of Santa. It maybe wasn't quite to that degree that walking into that room with the that amazement. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot like that. I I just I couldn't thank her enough. Won't even know how. I don't trying to think of a gift to get her. So I asked my wife to do it because I wouldn't even know what to do. So yeah, I guess the the moral of all this is just try to appreciate it, appreciate it all. Because one minute everything can be fine, perfect, normal, and then it isn't. And it's, I mean, we can't just live in fear either and, and can't necessarily be overwhelmed with emotion every moment of every interaction. But I think just a conscious appreciation for it, perspective, that uh, sometimes perspective is extremely important and sometimes it's extremely painful. And if you you just haven't had the experience to gain the perspective to try to take a moment as best you can to try, uh, again, to appreciate but also empathize with someone. And that doesn't have to always be just like in such situations like with my dad or our family or someone else's family with loss, it can also be at the front counter with a customer who just got an estimate, their car that was reliable and, and part of their daily routine and normal is now not. And the fin- the financial hit they weren't prepared for, whether they have money, they just weren't uh, thinking about spending it on their car or they don't have the money that I think we can all empathize with that. I think we've all been there and, and that, that take that with us a little bit and, and convey that to a client. Uh, I don't think it hurt to do that. We can't fund them, fund it for them. We're, we can't be the bank unless your business is set up as such, but it doesn't mean we have to be super callous or robotic about it either that, these unexpected things happen to every all of us, and maybe it wasn't with our vehicles. Maybe it was with the house. Maybe it was with a family member or pet. We're we're all more alike than we are different. Just being on the the level and and getting down physically to uh, the client's level, and and being able to speak with them and even be supportive thinking about the, again, do I fix the squeaky brakes or first or the uh, loose ball joint? I, you can give them the best recommendation, of course, both, but if they can't afford both at the same time and reassuring them that they're making a good decision based off the information they're getting because you are the one giving them the information. And that, and that will mean a lot, especially if you're down at their level or even slightly lower. That this does translate to us. With enough time, we will figure it out. How we get paid for that is somewhat an interesting conversation. But I, I think that's the only way to twist the uh, tincture of time. Thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate the patience and understanding with missing 
one of the episode days. I guess really so far, knock on wood here, good news. Things are going in a, a positive fashion. We'll see how that angiogram goes and we'll see how time plays on this. He's uh, still in the hospital, but not in the ICU. I would say showing improvement every day. Hopefully that continues. Yeah, I mean, hopefully as much as I felt like I appreciated every moment that I do even, even more so. And if I can convince or remind you that if you can just treasure every, every moment, because it's like, you know, Keith Perkins and I and a bunch of us will say, whether it's programming or ADOS or many, many things we do, it's easy until it isn't. Things are good until they're not. Things can be good and then until they're not. And it isn't necessarily a slow descent or spiral that sometimes it's very quick. And that, I don't know, just kind of being a little bit aware of it. Don't hold back saying something uh, or doing something with that person or for that person or saying something to them. I, I would advise not waiting for the perfect time to just do it and make sure they know, make sure you get that whatever experience with them. And uh, yeah, thank you to the Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring this. And thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network making this all possible and cleaning these up so they're a little easier to listen to. And uh, yeah, if you have any Stories like mine or any ideas for uh, future episodes want to be on the uh, podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm pretty easy to find on social media, and you can email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.